Coach, they're calling a holding penalty on me every time. Did I ask for your excuses? You want to act like a star? You better give me a star effort. Do you hear me? Forget about him. Alan, you're in. Come on. All right. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. And if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure. They remember forever the night they played the Titans. What? Leave no doubt. Enjoy the victory, folks. Enjoy the victory. The only reason why I say this is because a lot of us Hog fans, myself included, have a tendency to be more relieved after a victory instead of just enjoying it, especially coming off of a three-game losing streak prior to the BYU game. Just overall enjoy the college football season and the roller coaster of emotions that come with it and the love-hate relationship we have with that roller coaster because for about seven to eight months out of the year, you and I both, we all can't wait for college football, and boom. Just like that in the blink, blink of an eye, it seems to come and go before we know it. But luckily for us Arkansas fans, over the, probably the last two years, we've been able to distract ourselves from that want of college football due to our success in basketball, baseball, and softball. However, just enjoy these victories because it'll be mid-January before we know it, and we won't have college football for a long time. But regardless... Hogs got it done this weekend in the Plains. Flat out dubbed him boys from Auburn. In the great words of Coach Herm, left no doubt. And the Hogs left zero doubt in everyone's mind on Saturday on who the better football team was. Hogs are back at home this weekend after almost a month on the road against the 23rd-ranked Liberty Flames. They're no slouch, and they're coming off of bye week. And the week before that, they whooped BYU's ass. I'm still sticking to it. 9-3 and three is very much in the picture. We just have to take it one week at a time. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode 11. In this podcast, we provide information vital to the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. Top deuce, and it ain't deuce, and that's the truth, with some cheese on it. Each week, we preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting news and updates on professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. Well, folks, there's another victory. Another streak ended by the pit boss as the Hawks sit down the Auburn Tigers 41-27 to on Saturday, moving to 5-3 and on the season, 2-3 and in conference play, and one game away from being bowl eligible for the third straight season. Brian Harson career-wise, is 9-1 off bye weeks. That shit turned into 9-2 real quick, my guy. 
I don't care who you are. Going into Auburn and winning is a tough task. <clears throat> and the score was 100% not indicative of how much we dominated that game. Shit, it was 38-13 to 13 at one point. You know, we did have a slow start, but we got our feet back under us. Had a bad end of the half, but dominated the second half, which was great to see that we're able to make some halftime adjustments for the first time all year. Defense played well, honestly, as well as they have in quite some time. And they gave us a chance to play some second stringers. I think Pittman said that's the first time we played second stringers since the UAPB game last year. It's been a long time. Offense rolled per usual. Continue to believe in this program and Pittman's vision for it. Two straight road wins gave us the confidence we need heading into another tough three-week stretch at home. Hawks can't overlook Hugh Freeze and the Flames come Saturday before Ole Miss and LSU come to town. We're currently 5-3, and three, and we were 5-3 and three at this point last year. It's pretty odd. Only difference is our opponents now. We have our next three or four at home, which will determine our entire bowl resume. Hogs have another opportunity to take down a top 25 team at home on Saturday. How we're going to do that, guess we'll find out. Okay, so I recorded the podcast while the college football playoff rankings were coming out for the first time all season, and I saw that the top four were Ohio State, Tennessee, Clemson, and Georgia, I believe. First off, Clemson doesn't deserve to be in the top four. That's utter bull crap. That team is more suspect than any of the other undefeated teams I've seen the whole season. They should have lost about two games this year. Even though I don't like Michigan, Michigan should be in for the time being. Secondly, LSU two weeks ago was unranked. They were unranked. They beat Ole Miss like a drum. We all love to see it. Then they're on a bye week, and then somehow they get put in the top ten. Now, how the hell does that work? Really, how does that work? Then, oh, my God. Yeah, I feel like this is a broken record for how much I keep talking about it. Texas loses two weeks ago as the 23rd-ranked team in the country against Oklahoma State. On the road, Queen of Ewers plays awful. They blow another 17-point lead this season. That's the second one they've blown. They blew one against Texas Tech. Then they blew one against Oklahoma State. So they were 23rd, lost on the road, had a bye week. They were unranked on the bye week. Then in the college football playoff rankings yesterday, they're ranked 23rd again. Make it make sense. I don't get it. And I, I, I really don't. I mean, how badly do, do, you, do you want Texas to be ranked? I think, they, I think they've lost two games. No, wait, my bad. They've lost three games. They have a worse record than Arkansas. I believe they're four and three, and they're ranked ahead of us. Who have they beaten? An unranked, excuse me, they've beaten an unranked UTSA team. They beat an unranked... Oklahoma team, and then I don't know who they played to start the season, but they won their first game of the year. They've lost to Alabama, they lost to Texas Tech, and they lost to Oklahoma State. Shoot, I don't even know who their fourth win is, and I don't really care to be honest, because the fact that they're four and three were unranked during the bye week after losing as a ranked team the week before, and now the rank doesn't make any sense. I can't stand Texas. Good God almighty. 
LSU getting them thrown to the top 10, I don't get it either. But the college football playoff rankings just showed that I don't think people know what they're doing. Whoever the voters are, I thought the AP gets it wrong. But the college football playoff yesterday, that, that committee is, they're on something. Because that's ridiculous. KJ Jefferson in trouble. Breaks a tackle, breaks another tackle to the five. Touchdown, Arkansas. KJ Jefferson, 13 yards. Dave, there's pressure on KJ. He's not able to do it. KJ feels the pressure off of the edge immediately, so he tucks it. And you talk about Puckett being able to make that play earlier. Adios. Bonjour. Sayonara. What? Excuse me? Yeah, no, I'm practicing my, my ways to say goodbye. I'm saying goodbye to Brian Harson because his ass got canned on Monday. Never would have thought Clown Morris made it longer than someone in the SEC, in their SEC coaching tenure. So, yeah, that's pretty freaking bad. Might be time to go ahead and update that LinkedIn, Brian. Consider a career change if Chad's lasting longer at an SEC school than you. Figured Saturday would be your last. You weren't about that smoke, so we found the door for you. Go back to Boise. Called it last week. Hogs are just a better football team, and it showed. This was a take-care-of-business game for the Hogs. That's exactly what we did. Like I touched on earlier, the score wasn't indicative at all of how much we dominated Auburn. And if we hadn't have caught off the dogs, we probably would have hung 50 on them, and I don't know if they would have scored above 20. Auburn tried to blow the smoke screen drop for the game that they weren't starting Ashford, and the only thing it did was just piss off Auburn fans even more. That that 24-7 board's hilarious. I very much understand and know what Auburn's going through right now. You know, firing a coach, just not being a good football team. Because we were, we were in their shoes not too long ago. But do I feel bad for them? Hell no. Sucks to suck. I hope every team in the entire country goes through what we went through with Chad Morris. Just, just to experience that cycle of suck. And honestly, I hope that the daggum stupid eagle flies off next home game and just doesn't come back. Honestly, wonder how that doesn't happen more, but whatever. Yes, we didn't get at or we didn't get off to the hottest start most wanted. We went three and out, fumble on our first two drives, but our defense stepped up. We were able to hold Auburn to three points on the first two drives when they got the ball, I think, inside the fifty. And the offense finally figured it out. Overall, it's two straight games. We've done a great job of bouncing back from early miscues, but we still need to cut down on them. We didn't have the best end of the half, though. Gave Auburn great field position for a field goal that they cut it to four with. Before that, on their only touchdown in the first half and really meaningful part of the game, we missed tackles on Tank Bigsby, which allowed him to break free for for a 41-yard touchdown run. But this game, like I said earlier, was the best halftime adjustments we made all year because we came out in that second half and flat-out dominated. Scored 21 points in the third quarter, and that – flat-out deflated Auburn. The bulk of our damage offensively came through the air in the first half. Similar to the BYU game, we opened it up from the start. We only ran for 70 yards on 20 carries in the first half, but a change in the second half, we ran for 216 in the second half, leaving our total on the day at 286 rushing yards. We finished the day with 520 yards of total offense, brought our season average to 493 yards per game, which is good for 13th in the country. Our rushing attack is sixth best in the country at 246 yards per game, and our third down conversion rate is best for 13th in the country at an even 50% on the year. Yeah, 
I'll wait for the people who wanted Kendall Bryles to be fired and thought he was the problem. I'll wait. The folks who, who honestly thought he was the issue, find the damn door. He's not the problem. Our offense is getting better every year he's been here. I hope someone doesn't hire him away as a head coach. I really don't. Pay him the money he needs to stay here. Say what you want about his play calling. We're almost averaging 500 yards total offense. It's pretty damn good. 50% on third down. What more can you freaking ask for? Speaking of rushing, while he didn't get in the end zone, Rocket surpassed the thousand yard mark on the season after he rushed for 171 yards on 16 carries becoming the fastest hog to reach a thousand yards in eight games it's about time he start getting considered as a top three candidate for the doke walker award kj's starting to show more and more trust in his wide receivers as eight different razorbacks caught passes from him kj was 16 of 24 234 yards one tutty ran 10 times for 45 yards and two scores on a second down Played some bully ball, shoved two defenders to the ground, hit that Cam Newton Superman in the end zone. KJ is him. KJ's so great for us. And honestly, a lot of people do take him for granted. More than more people than I'd probably like to think of. But I just hope KJ comes back next year. I think he will. But 14 touched passing touchdowns this season to one interception. We don't turn the ball over at all, and that gives us – such a better chance to win football games than we really expect. We haven't, we don't turn the ball over that much at all. Dub made the most of his five carries, got in the end zone twice. Unfortunately, news broke yesterday, which was Monday. I'm recording this on a Tuesday. Dominique Johnson tore his ACL again. He'll be out the remainder of the season. It's an absolute bummer for the kid. I hate to see it. I hate to see it. I mean, Injuries in back-to-back years, regardless of the injury, sucks. But an ACL, it's at least a year-long recovery if you're lucky. Before you're back to 100% and he just hurt his knee again, that sucks. Now we can only wonder if we've seen the last of Dominic Johnson at Arkansas. I mean, seriously. I hate that for him, praying for speedy recovery. But receiving-wise, Jaden Hazelwood, dog, continues to be a dog. Outside of his fumble, dude had a great day. I think his favorite move is a spin move. Him and Aaron Rosenthal must know each other pretty well. Five catches, 61 yards, one touchdown. I love how physical and elusive he is. Dude refuses to go down on initial contact. I love that out of wide receivers. Matt Landers, quietly, is our leading receiver yards-wise, and he's tied for, I think, the most touchdown catches on our team. Four catches, 115 yards, caught a nice deep ball. And dragged a couple Auburn defenders about 10 yards. Dude strong, sneaky strong. This is the Landers we're hearing about all of fall camp. He's really starting to become the deep ball threat we all hoped he would be. So the offensive line, we protected very, very, very well in my opinion. Pittman said after he watched the tape he thought they could have played a lot better, which is good because I thought they played really well. KJ had more than enough time to throw the football. And outside of getting sacked, I think once, maybe twice, he really wasn't touched all day. Running backs could pick and choose what holes they wanted to run through. Liberty's got a spicy front seven. We're going to have to continue this momentum and improve on what mistakes we made on Saturday if we want to have any success against that defense. Now, defensively, this was the best game our secondary played all season, in my opinion. Sure, you you can look at the stat sheet and claim, oh, Auburn threw for 285 yards. What do you mean this is our best performance? Well, 149 of those yards came in the fourth quarter. The game had already been decided by then, and we had our backups in the game. So, Go ahead and do that math. Take the difference. I'll wait. 
I know y'all can't do math that fast, so I'll just tell you. It's 139 yards against our starters. That's pretty daggum good. Don't care who we're playing against. Our secondary played very, very well. The Auburn offense did make some they made some good plays in the second quarter, but we were able to limit the big plays through the air for the most part for the first three quarters. As for our rushing defense, we only gave up 144 – or not we only. We gave up 144 yards rushing in the first half. Well, we fixed that issue, only allowed 39 yards on the ground in the second half. We forced Ashford to try and beat us to the air. I don't know. It's almost like Barry Odom listens to the podcast or something. Who knows? Probably should take some more tips, Barry. Aside from Bixby's 41-yard touchdown run, we did a pretty good job limiting his production. He had 63 yards rushing on 11 carries, and 41 of those yards came on one carry. So he had 10 carries, 22 yards after that. It's pretty good. We kept him in check. Caught six passes for 37 yards. But all in all, we, we, we simplified the game plan, forced him to throw the – or we forced Auburn to throw the ball, take the ball out of Bigsby's hands. And, yeah, we struggled to contain Ashford a little bit when he'd take off and run, but that's hard. That's really hard to do on a quarterback that elusive. I mean, he'd drop back to pass and just take off. He ran for 87 yards on 19 carries – but thankfully, Auburn can never capitalize on his production for the first three quarters. We also shut down Jarquez Hunter, who combined for a total of 30 yards on the day receiving and rushing. Lastly, for defense, we finally got back in the sack column. We had three sacks on the day. Made Ashford pretty uncomfortable in the pocket. He never really sat back there with any time at all. Pooh Paul, Jordan Dominate, Miles Slusher all odd to sack, which seeing the names – Associated with these sacks, linebacker and a defensive back, we dialed it up a little bit with our blitz packages. We brought pressure from secondary, ran stunts with some linebackers, which we hadn't done all year, ran some twists with DNs. I'm all about that stuff. We need to continue it. Confuse quarterbacks, confuse offensive lines. Lastly, punting was 50-50. Rebauer somehow won SEC Special Teams Player of the Week, and he had two punts of 24 and 27 yards. But he finished with a total of 129 yards punting with a long of 78. Yeah, 78 yard is great, but what the hell is this 24, 27 yarder about? I can deal with Reed being back there, though. Just don't let Max Johnson punt again, please. But one of the biggest special teams plays we had all day was Landon Jackson blocking Anders Carlson's 52 yard field goal attempt in the third quarter. Gave us some momentum that we needed, and we capitalized on it. Two straight W's with no injuries. This crew's got the boost they need heading back home. Let's build on build on our mistakes and clean things up before Liberty. He's sent here, three receivers near side, two to the top. Three-man rush over the middle, pass caught, touchdown. Jaden Hazelwood. A 12-yard touchdown catch. And the Hawks have put 23 on the board now. David, you talk about K.J. Jefferson. You see the poise in the pocket, and this is this is almost too easy. You see Auburn is late lining up, and that's just one-on-one. And I don't know if Zion... All righty, previewing the Liberty Flames. This season, we've had some pretty interesting non-conference matchups. You know, by Petrino, Missouri State, out west of BYU. Now we got the Liberty Flames, one of the, one of the better independent football schools in the country. But a familiar face comes to town this Saturday. Hugh Freeze is back in Fayetteville for the first time since the 2016-2017 season when Arkansas took down the Black Bear Rebel Landsharks 
34 to 31. Liberty comes to Arkansas as the 23rd best team in the country. They're 7 and 1 on the season. Recently beat BYU 41 to 14, and their one loss came to Wake Forest, which they lost 36 to 37 in overtime. If they hadn't have went for two, they might have won that game. They very well could be 8 and 0. This is a good football team. Arkansas is 14 and a half point favorites, but we're going to have to come ready to play. Really come ready to play from the start if we want to win, or else Liberty is going to. They're really going to surprise us. As winners of their last five in a row, the Liberty Flames come to Fave off a bye week. They'll be ready to try and upset the Hogs at home while they're the ranked team. I know it sounds weird, but it would be an upset if they beat us at our place. Hugh Freeze has already talked about that he wished he could play any other team off a bye week but us. Similar to what Hugh Freeze ran at Ole Miss, Liberty runs the up-tempo spread offense where They've had a lot of success this season. They average 31.5 points per game. Most of their production comes on, comes on the ground, but we'll take a look at who to look for on Saturday. The Flames have had a few different guys take snaps at quarterback this season. They've had Jonathan Bennett, Caden Salter, Charlie Brewer, and Nate Hampton. Mainly we're going to talk about the first three and who I think will be starting against Arkansas, which is Jonathan Bennett or Charlie Brewer, but we'll also touch on Caden Salter. Liberty averages 26, or 226 yards passing per game. So as their starter for the last three games, Jonathan Bennett has thrown for 939 yards on 77 of 134 passing, which is about 57.5%, eight touchdowns and seven interceptions. He's also run 47 times for 111 yards and one touchdown. So he does possess a little bit of a dual threat ability, and he's got the ability to do damage to our defense on the ground. As for Caden Salter, once recruited by the Razorbacks, he was a starter for four of their games this season. He's thrown for 776 yards on 50 and 91 passing, 55% completion percentage, six touchdowns and five interceptions. He's also run 41 times for 206 yards and two touchdowns. And out of him and Bennett, he's definitely the more effective runner. Lastly, they got Charlie Brewer, former Baylor Bear and Utah Ute. He's been hurt most of the season, but he's a good chance to start against the Razorbacks, according to my Liberty source, Cade Daniel. Excuse me, Charlie Brewer is only three or four passing on the season for 18 yards, but when healthy, he's the most talented quarterback on the roster. And I think he had a finger or a hand injury or something early on the season. His, his return is slated to be against Arkansas, so who knows? I bet we'll either see Bennett or Brewer on Saturday. But passing-wise, this team is similar to Auburn. Most of their production comes from the rushing attack and not as much through the air. Liberty quarterbacks this season have thrown a total of 14 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. They've been sacked 23 times. So hopefully, Arkansas will dial up a game plan for Liberty similar to how we did against Auburn. Really focus on stopping the rushing attack, make them beat us through the air. None of these guys are near as mobile as Robbie Ashford, I guarantee it. And I've only seen Charlie Brewer play, and I know for damn sure he's not. If Charlie Brewer is a quarterback, I'm not sure what to expect, though. He's shown a lot of promise at prior schools, but he's he's easily going to be the most experienced quarterback on the field Saturday compared to KJ or anybody else playing at three different schools. I mean, Baylor was really good when he was there. When he was a true freshman, they were, I think, a one-loss team. They were very, very good. I think they went to the Big 12 title game as well. But anyway, rushing-wise, Liberty's got two main rushing threats, Dede Hunter and Cedro Lewis, with Dede being their bell cow. He's ran 120 times for 821 yards. 
which is around seven yards per carry and eight touchdowns on the season. Cedro Lewis has run 79 times for 333 yards, about four yards carry, and seven touchdowns. Both of these guys have builds similar to A.J. Green and Rashad DeBinion, and they're used a lot in passing game as well. They average about 196 yards rushing per game. The fact that Day-Day Hunter averages seven yards a carry is pretty scary. But receiving-wise, excuse me, the Flames' leading receiver has 27 more catches than the second leading receiver, but each of their top three wide receivers have a yard per catch average of a about 16-plus yards, so these guys possess a lot of big playability. Their leading wide receiver, his name is Demario Douglas. He has 42 catches for 615 yards on the season and five touchdowns. Without a doubt, he's a big play guy on the outside. They they like to give him the lot, or excuse me, they like to give him the ball a lot on speed sweeps, in the screen game, vertically. He's great in man-to-man coverage. He He really understands the leverage. He's been able to get open against most coverages or most corners they've thrown at him. He lines up in the slot or out wide. He's going to test our secondary big time. Going to be a, a tough test for Moody, or not Moody, Nudy and Malik Chavis or Kari Johnson or any other guys that cover him. If I had to compare him to NFL players, probably got to build similar to Jalen Waddle. Their second leading receiver is Noah Frith. He's got 15 catches, 305 yards, and no touchdowns. But his yard per catch average is over 20 yards. He's 6'4", 210. They throw up a lot of 50-50 balls downfield to him to take advantage of his size against safeties. Their third leading receiver is C.J. Yarborough. However, he's hurt and hasn't played over a month, so I'm not going to cover him. The real third target is someone who we've talked about already, Dede Hunter. He's got 18 catches, 150 yards, and one touchdown. Similar to Jameer Gibbs at Alabama, he works a lot out of the slot and runs a lot of routes out of the backfield, especially on third down situations if they know that they're going to have a linebacker matched up on him. They'll run like a, a V route out of the backfield where they'll be in shotgun formation and Dede Hunter will run to the edge of the line of scrimmage and then cut back across the field like he's running a slant. They'll look to get in the ball quickly, mainly on probably like third and moderately long situations, but as for their offensive line group, they didn't give up a sack against BYU, but neither did we. This offensive line group, they can run block really, really well, but they're, they're hit or miss in pass pro. Like we've talked about, they've given up 23 sacks. Arkansas is going to be the biggest, fastest, and most physical defensive line they've played all season. We can severely limit the production of this offense if we're able to disrupt the rushing attack and make life hard on whatever quarterback is back there. This will really take pressure off of our defensive backs as well. I really enjoyed the different blitzes that Barry was dialing up against Auburn, and I hope to see more of those this weekend because just confusing. I I don't care if it's Charlie Brewer or Jonathan Bennett. They're both experienced guys. But no matter what, throwing blitzes at quarterbacks outside of just bringing the normal linebackers or you know bringing one corner off the edge, bringing a linebacker, and a nickelback like Slusher and then dropping a D-end and rushing the three other defensive linemen, that throws off a quarterback. Or just even bluffing blitzes throws off a quarterback, no matter the experience, because there's only so much you can do pre-snap in terms of adjusting your line audibles, checking into different plays. So don't show a blitz too early. Bluff a blitz every now and then. Bring people from different angles. Just confuse a quarterback as much as we can. Rattle them as much as we can. I think we're going to be okay. Defensively, Liberty's defense is 100% going to be one of the better defenses we played this season. They've held opponents to about 120 yards rushing per game, 
270 yards passing per game. They have 11 interceptions, 30 sacks, 8 forced fumbles, and 7 recoveries. That's pretty salty. That is really salty. This is a SEC caliber defense we're playing against. They're solid all around. They'll likely load the box to try to stop our own game like everyone's going to try to do against us. And they they really do keep sleeping on KJ, wanting him to beat, wanting him to beat them through the air because roll the BYU footage, torch their ass. Roll the Auburn footage, he'll torch their ass too. I mean, KJ's becoming more and more accurate as the season goes on. I think that goes with him being able to trust his receivers more and more outside of just the normal Jaden Hazelwood and Trey Knox and guys like that. He trusts everyone now. Even like Bryce Stevens is getting in the mix because like, we talk about the trust. The more trust he has in his wide receivers, the more dynamic our offense is becoming. Liberty hasn't faced a team as physical, fast, as strong as us all year, and especially playing us on the road on a Excuse me, in terms of personnel, we are on a different level. Liberty's biggest crowd they played against this season was 32,000. 32,000. That's not even half the size of our stadium. They're going to hear a full 75 to 76,000 on Saturday. We're going to be pumped. We haven't, seen our, we haven't seen our boys at home in a month, especially after we've won two in a row. Everyone's going to be in there. Fans got to bring it Saturday. Show this Liberty group what it's like to play in the SEC West. This could be a high-scoring game, but we have the better offense at the end of the day and with the defense coming off of their best performance of the year. We'll touch up on the keys to victory later. All righty, talking hog hoops, recapping the Texas game. Oof. Oof. Saturday was ugly. God, it was ugly. Once again, I feel like we, I feel like we have to reiterate this to folks every year. It's early is there a lot to clean up? Absolutely. That's why we play games like this. Texas had the age factor on us, and it really showed. This is what Muss had to say after his, after the game in his postgame presser. In quotes, I did say that we were in for an eye-opening experience based on how we've been practicing and understanding the veteran essence of their roster and understanding how hard they play. We have 11 new guys, so it's so obviously we're going to be a work in progress. But how far that work in progress gets, I don't know. But this is a great game for us. Not that we played great. We played as bad as any 40 minutes of basketball I've been involved in college basketball. End quote. No more sugarcoating it. Let's get to my takeaways from watching the live stream. Shout out Pinto. Getting updates from Curtis Wilkinson Jr. and Austin Chumley. Highlights and research. First, turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. I know it's early. But the consistent issues in the turnover department for Arkansas are becoming more and more troublesome. I know it's only been two exhibition games with how many ball handlers we have and our, and our ability to create separation, but Texas had us on our heels. They made us extend our offense, made it, made it tough for us to get any action. Seven Hogs had at least two turnovers, and Nick Smith Jr. and Anthony Black combined for seven. All of this just was examples of passing to players who aren't there the right idea but bad pass situations are things that will correct themselves organically as the team develops more on floor chemistry. But overall, we've seen a better sense of urgency when it comes to value in the basketball. Far too many times we put it on the deck only to lose our handle at the slightest swipe or contact. It would way too many passes hit guys in the hands and weren't secured. Absolutely have to clean this up with the team this young because the competition doesn't get easier anytime soon. Moving on, where the hell is our defense? During the red-white scrimmage in the Roger State game, 
even when things got sloppy on the on the offensive end, at least we could hang our hat on the defensive end of the floor and let our length and athleticism di- disrupt the other team's offense. That wasn't the case against Texas. They had ath- I mean, they matched our athleticism, but they had more experience playing together and just all around experience in the collegiate game. They were a lot more physical, and they used it to counter our length. We had some solid stretches of half-court defense early, early on in the game, but we really, really struggled finishing possessions. Texas really hurt us on the offensive glass. They had 11 offensive boards in the first half alone. It over, Overall, it just seemed way too easy for Texas. We gave it way too many straight-line drives. We had awful rotations. We either missed help or we were caught ball-watching. Texas moved the ball well side to side with our late rot- – I talked about last week. We didn't have the best rotations or communication. So Texas moving the ball well, they were able to get the ball out to shooters or dropping it to bigs for easy buckets. And just like we touched on last week, poor rotations against better teams will get you eaten alive, and that's exactly what happened. They shot 54% from the field, were 10 of 16 from three, shot 20 free throws, and they had 21 assists to 10 turnovers. A lot to improve on here, especially from such a young team. Moving on. All right, so we saw some silver linings from from NSJ and Walsh. While neither played their best game necessarily, Arkansas can walk away a little optimistic as both these guys were really the only hogs to show us a silver lining. They were the only two to reach double figures. Jordan Walsh at 14, and uh, Nick Smith Jr. at 12. Jordan was pretty disruptive on the defensive end, which we all knew he'd probably, he'd probably be, and he played a lot more aggressive offensively than he did in the Roger State game. But what was most important is that he was hitting some open threes when he was given the opportunity, and he shot them confidently at two on the day, which is something we sorely need as a team and especially from him. As for Nick Smith Jr., he was essentially our entire offense for the first several minutes of the game. Scored our first seven of nine points before the first media timeout. Just pretty similar to the Roger State game, and then he cooled off. He he did show some great signs of passing in the pick and roll, or in different pick and roll scenarios, but in the second half, he did have three turnovers. He didn't play the final 12 minutes of the contest, which is perfectly understandable. Next, transfers. What are we doing? We We need more production from these guys. We brought them in for production. We didn't bring them in for developmental purposes. And against, against an experienced team like Texas, I would hope most people understood or expected our freshmen to struggle at times, experience a bit of a culture shock, especially early on in the game. But it wasn't really the freshmen that were the most overwhelmed. It was our transfers. They were a lot more overwhelmed than the freshmen were. Our transfers combined to shoot 4 of 18 from the field on Saturday, had 8 rebounds, 2 assists, and 9 turnovers in a combined 61 minutes. That flat-out sucks. Travion Brazil struggled big time. Played 15 minutes before he he got banged up a little bit. I don't know exactly what it was, but he turned it over three times, one on our first play of the game, only had one rebound, and he only made one shot. Then in the final nine minutes he played, he didn't record a single statistic. He was just out there logging steps. As for Jalen Graham, he started alongside Travion Brazil again. We had the same starting lineup that we did in the Roger State game. He only played six minutes, and he didn't score. He was subbed out within the first three minutes of the first half, and same for the second half. But to make matters worse, in the second half, in three minutes of action, he had two turnovers and missed a shot on our first three possessions before he got yanked. Ricky Council, I know it's early. i got to tell myself it's early with this guy. I, he's, he's, he's hard not to like with his uber-athleticism, his ability to make electrifying plays, but he looked a little bit better than he did in the Roger State game, mainly on the defensive end. He showed 
he showed great ability on the defensive end with his on-ball defense. He shot five or six from the charity stripe, but he's 0 of 5 on the day with two turnovers in, the pa- in two straight games. He hasn't made a field goal. Makai Mitchell was probably the Hogs' best player not named Nick Smith Jr. in the first half. He played with a lot of intensity, physicality, scored eight points, grabbed three boards, looked solid and comfortable in the pick-and-roll game, finished with both hands, but unfortunately he missed his final five shots. His brother Mikel only got two minutes of action. Lastly, for my takeaways, Devo's, we need Devo to produce. Devo showed some nice things Saturday that we that we normally expect out of Devo, you know, diving on the loose floor or diving on the ball, being a vocal leader, getting in the ear of teammates who weren't really matching his energy. All that was great to see, but he didn't score in the Roger State game and then transitioned the Texas game. He was one of five with three assists, but that got wiped out with three turnovers. Devo's got the leadership this team needs, and he's he's an extension of a coach on the floor, but as the one player on the roster who's really truly established and proven capable of being a high-level contributor in the program, we need a lot more consistent production for number four. Excuse me. For my final thoughts, we know of two things to be true. Looking at the big picture here, a 30-point loss to Texas in an exhibition game in October means absolutely nothing. One of the Hogs' Maui opponents coming up in a couple weeks, Louisville, lost by 10 at home to a D2 team. It could be that bad. I mean, that's a whole different area of concern. Good Lord. Secondly, exhibition game or not, that type of effort or production is not going to cut it from an Eric Musselman coach team in Arkansas. and It's flat-out unacceptable, and the team knows it. This loss will help us a lot more than hurt us, in my opinion, because a lot of our flaws were exposed early, meaning we can address them earlier and have them fixed before conference. Texas might have gotten the W Saturday, but we'll see them come March, and they're going to face a whole different giant. The reality of the current situation is that Texas is much farther along and they're better team right now due to the experience that team has. Arkansas has got a lot of work to do and improvements to make before the wins and losses really start counting next Monday. We all know this Hog team is stupid, stupid talented. All the ingredients are there for one hell of a season. And that would have been true whether the Hogs won Saturday or lost in the blood on Saturday. Trust Mus. He's going to have this crew ready when the time is right. Trajectory of the football. Here's Sanders, left side, big hole. Looking like Darren McFadden down the near sideline to the 20 yard line. All righty, keys to victory. This week's keys to victory for the Arkansas Razorbacks against the 23rd ranked Liberty Flames. The Saturday is brought to you by the Elite of the Elite, the board of directors built up and comprised of Aaron B. Rosenthal, Cole, Open Wide Daniel. And Hunter, the slinky bag man, grows. Let's get into it. So Mr. Beef's key to Arkansas success, limiting mistakes. We're the better team. If you limit turnovers, penalties, and mental mistakes, we should win off of talent alone. Don't give them any extra chances or opportunities. We honestly gave Auburn a good amount of those, but they couldn't take advantage. Liberty may, so avoid the self-inflicted runes. Moving on to Dr. Daniel's two keys to the Hogs becoming victorious because Gross decided not to participate. First one is start fast. Liberty has a really good defense, especially their D-line. This is not a team you want to fall behind against like we did against Missouri State. I think it'd be a tough – I think it'd be tough to score in bunches like we did to close that game, and I completely agree. Secondly, quarterback pressure. We will either see Jonathan Bennett or Charlie Brewer like we talked about, or both. Who knows? 
Brewer obviously has the Power 5 experience, and Bennett is coming off of his best game of the season as a starter. I think no matter who is back there, we have to come after the QB and make them uncomfortable. If we don't, Hugh is going to dice us up if we give him too much time. All right, now moving on to everyone's favorite part of the podcast. We got the mailbag Q&A. This was fun last week and a big hit. We had a lot of requests for it this week, so we're back at it. First question, why can't we ever get an SEC home game at night? I agree. That is a load of bullshit that the LSU game is not a night game. And if for some reason the Ole Miss game isn't a night game, that'll be two straight years without a night game at home and conference play for Arkansas. That is a load of bullshit. But honestly, the the real reason for why the LSU game is on a night game is because CBS gets the first pick of the litter. They get to pit before ESPN, ABC, NBC, SEC Network, all those networks. And they picked us for their 11 a.m. slot because their afternoon slot is being taken up by Ole Miss Alabama. The Ole Miss-Arkansas game has got to be a night game, and if it isn't, I'm going to have a conniption. Secondly, how many touchdowns is Ole Miss beating Arkansas by this year? Well, uh, Mr. Glasscock, I think it's, uh, I think Arkansas is going to beat Ole Miss by the same amount of years it took you to graduate, graduate college, and that's more than four. I'm just kidding. I love you. Has Arkansas' season been a disappointment or a total fluking letdown? Tucker, I don't know. I don't know. It hasn't been a dif- disappointment. It's not a fucking letdown. You better you better just hope that Ole Miss doesn't come to Fayetteville and get absolutely dog-walked in two weeks. Moving on, do you realistically see the Hogs having a chance at the SEC title with Pittman at the top? It's a great question. It's a real question. My answer to that is yes. It'll take time. It took Bama a few years to be a consistent contender of the SEC when they had Nick Saban, and same with Kirby Smart when he got to Georgia. And, hell, last year we were seven points away from playing in the SEC championship game, representing the West, with our one-point loss to Ole Miss and our – or, excuse me, we were eight points away last year from playing in the SEC championship because we lost by seven Alabama and one to Ole Miss. We finished third in the SEC West. So Pittman has us a lot closer than we honestly think and closer than we've been in a long time. So ultimately, yes. But this is a tough and real question. I like it, Pac. We, we appreciate those questions. Next, will Hudson Clark or when will Hudson Clark start getting the credit he deserves? I agree with you, Duke. I've been saying it all year. Seventeen is not the problem in our secondary. Hud Island. It ain't a resort anymore. It's an island. He's quietly having his best or his best year career wise as a hog. He's I believe tied for third in pass breakups this season in the SEC with nine. He has one interception, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. Duke can play corner and safety at an effective level. Can't ask for much more out of 17. He's also won defense, SEC defense, Defensive Player of the Week this year after the BYU game. 17's that guy. Moving on, what similarities and differences do you see with Pittman and Houston Nut coaching style? I like this question a lot. Okay, so similarity-wise, um, I think they both, yeah, they both love physicality. They love running the football. Both guys are tremendous motivators. They have the state behind them. They truly love the Hogs, and they're a great mix between a player's coach and a coach that plays by the book. The differences between the two, let's see, the differences between the two. I'd say Pittman's a better recruiter, 
and he's done a better job as someone who's adapted to the way college football is constantly changing in terms of offensive defense. And I believe Pittman knows how to manage a coaching staff better in Houston. But that's a good question. Next, will we see Hugh Freeze back in the SEC at Auburn, or do they stay away from him again? I don't know. I don't know why Hugh Freeze has stayed at Liberty as long as he has. I really don't. It's not like they can pay SEC money. I do think he'll be back in the SEC at some point, but I think for Auburn, it's either Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, Jeff Grimes, Matt Rule, or possibly even Dion. Hugh Freeze did recently get a deal or a new deal with Auburn, or excuse me, new deal with Liberty, and same with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. But if it comes down to a bidding war, Auburn's not getting outbid by Ole Miss, Liberty, or Jackson State. And honestly, if I'm Auburn and I can't get these guys, can't get these guys, I'm picking up the phone calling Dave Miranda at Baylor. Hell. Even Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, who knows? I mean, they, they have a lot of options here they can they can go. But I know this really is on the topic of Hugh Freeze, but I've been reading and hearing some some things on Twitter. I don't I don't believe it to be true. I don't want it to be true, but some folks at Bama believe Kiffin is the next guy in line at Alabama when Saban steps down. It's hard to believe that we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Next, is Hudson Clark a better safety than corner? I love talking about Hud. Uh, as far as a better safety than corner, I'd say yes right now. He's a little bit undersized for that position. But say this offseason, he solely focuses on safety, bulks up a little bit. I think he can be a pretty decent safety. I mean, he's made the switch pretty well, and I this is my personal opinion. I think that any cornerback that's able to make the conversion to safety can be deadly with how versatile they are with their coverage skills, their ability to cover guys man-to-man and and uh, press coverage and things like that. I make the point about his size mainly based off a play I saw in the Mississippi State game. It was on their first touchdown when Jarquavius Mars got the ball, ran up the middle, Hudson met him in the hole, and got absolutely freaking trucked. Hudson knew where to be, but he wasn't the guy to make the play. It's due to his size. But since then, he's played very well at safety, though, and I think Pittman likes being able to use him at either position whether there's a deficit there or not. So but all in all, to answer your question, I think he is a better safety in the corner because his his speed isn't isolated as much. Um, when am I going to get a present for my sister? Bailey, I don't know what you want, but I ain't breaking the bank. I'll start at the Dollar General. Do I think we will be ranked if we beat Liberty? It's a good question. Um, there's a possibility we would be, but honestly, I feel like we play with more of a chip on our shoulders when we're not ranked. It might just seem that way since we have one two in a row since we weren't ranked, but a lot of rank, a, a lot of ranked matchups are going on this weekend. So with the W, I don't know. We might we might get thrown at like twenty five or something. What is my best eighteen hole golf score? Once upon a time, I shot seventy four. In putt butt. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, I shot an eighty four one time in Dallas back when Joey and I used to play almost every weekend during summer twenty twenty. If the drive is straight, we got a decent chance of playing well that day, but consistent straight drives are about as rare as they come for old PW here. Realistically, I don't shoot 84 consistently at all. That was just one day where I was playing absolutely out of my mind. All righty, next. If Lou Suey tattoos are great, what about actual hog tattoos? Hog tats, absolutely, especially if they're on your ass. All right, so what bowl game and versus who? I've seen projections that project us all the way from the Cotton Bowl to the damn Las Vegas Bowl, but best-case scenario, obviously the only best-case scenario from here on out is we finish 9-3, and three, and then 
say we finish nine and three, I think we have a legitimate shot at the Cotton Bowl. And it'd be two at-large bid teams that would play in the Cotton Bowl. So no conference alignment there. That would be a damn fun bowl game to go to and essentially be a home game for us unless we played like a Texas team. But still, that'd be a great bowl game to go to. And winning nine games is just another improvement from last year. Do I believe Nick Smith Jr., A.B., and Walsh would be one and done? Uh, for Nick Smith Jr. and A.B., I'd say 100% they're one and done. Walsh, I most likely, I think he's gone too. I don't think he's quite NBA ready yet, and I don't. I'm just throwing a shot in the dark here. I don't think he will be at the end of the season. But he, I, I say this because he just has a lot of developing to do. I believe he came to Arkansas under the impression that he would only be here one year, which we sold to him, and we sold it to him well. So regardless, I think all three leave after this year. Who is the best Arkansas player I've seen live? No particular sport. Best Razorback player I've ever seen live. <sighs> it's a tough question. I'm probably off the top of my head. I got to roll with D Mac. I mean, people knew we were running the football, and they still couldn't stop us when we had him. I was at the game when he ran for 323 yards against South Carolina. I think he ran for four touchdowns as well. And my oh my, man, that dude was different. Got robbed of a Heisman twice though. Made the cover of Sports Illustrated. Was on the cover of the NCAA football video game. I still haven't seen someone in Arkansas jersey just flat out run away from SEC defenses the way I got did. Last question of the day. How many defensive players will we get in the transfer portal? Great. Joe, that's a good question. Um, okay, let's see. We lose – I'm just going off the top of my head here. We lose at least four to five defensive linemen. Jordan Dominic, Dorian Gerald, Terry Hampton. Uh, I feel like I'm blanking on a couple others. Zach Williams, so that's at least four. And then you got Drew Sanders, he's gone. Bump's gone. Nudie's gone. Probably going to lose Brainy. And thank the Lord, we're probably going to lose Simeon Blair. Uh, so we all know Pooh's man in the middle next year, so we're 100% going to need some linebacker depth. I know we have Jordan Crook there, but we're still going to need some other guys. If it hadn't been for the transfer portal the last two years, we wouldn't have a damn defensive line. All in all, I see us, I see us grabbing at least four defensive guys out of the portal. You know, I'm all for developing younger guys that we recruit, but – with the transfer portal being as being so easy to access nowadays, and no one having to set out anymore, it's 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 easier to it makes it easier on coaches just to go to the portal and grab guys. So, yeah, I think we grab at least four defensive players out of the portal. But that wraps it up for this week's episode of Views from the Hill. I really appreciate all the love and support you guys have given the podcast. It's made this podcasting journey a lot of fun, and I really like the new segment we added in the mailbag Q and A. It's a fun way to keep you guys interacting with the podcast and get any ideas you have on the pod and things like that. But we're closing in on a thousand plays on the podcast. So I would really appreciate it if you guys all tune in. And when you go to Spotify to listen to the episode, please give it a good review, preferably a five star. I would really appreciate it. But I do think the Hawks can get it done this weekend. And whether we're ranked after that, who knows? And I really could care less about the ranking but we got to win out from here, and I really do think we can do it. So hopefully next time I see you guys, Hogs are 6-3, and three, bowl eligible for the third year in a row, and looking forward to playing against the LSU Tigers at home. I'll see you guys.